Hey everyone, welcome back to Choose Inclusion. Uh, we are joined today by Yolanda Chase as part of our continuing series on uh, Black Voices Matter. Um, and Yolanda, uh, fun fact, Yolanda, Mike and I were actually on a panel together. It was the first time I met Yolanda, I think about three years ago at the Global Minded Conference when we were all talking about the uh, intersection of diversity and tech, and we all kind of brought in our own experiences. Yolanda was working uh, at Arrow Corporation at the time as a head of DEI. Mike obviously was still the uh, executive director of the Blind Institute, and I had just founded a startup uh, called Diversity. And so we all came in and were kind of speaking to our experiences about how we can bring more diversity into tech. Uh, Yolanda is now the founder of Diversity Waymaker, uh, working to help companies, uh, organizations, higher education across um, all different industries to help bring um, more diversity and inclusion into, into spaces. And so love to uh, welcome Yolanda today. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. And of course, Yubi and Mike are with us as usual. So, hey guys. Welcome back. Hey guys, welcome back. So Yolanda, let's, you know, we always start off with a, a very important question, which is, you know, how are you feeling in this, in this time that we're in right now? Yeah, you know, I live in this space, right? So um, it's always interesting for me when something significant happens in the space of social justice, inclusion, diversity, you know, in the space that, that, that I operate in. Um, and I almost always have my feelers out for what is happening, um, both, you know, in, inside my professional environment, but also the greater external community. And that's the world, um, what's happening in the world as well. Um, and this one uh, hit different. Uh, this one hit, you know, really hard. Um, I have multi-ethnic children. I come from a multi-ethnic family um, and understand the plight of melanated people. And it has just been heartbreaking. Um, and, and not only for, um, melanated people and for, for black people, but for, I think it's been heartbreaking for anyone who has a heart and, and cares um, and understands the value of unity and equality for everyone. Uh, so it's heartbreaking. I think that the, I, I say that the America, America's heart is broken. I think the world's heart is broken right now with what's going on. And I would be remiss if I didn't start by saying the names, uh, you know, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, uh, Ahmaud Aubrey, Mike Brown, Tamir Rice, Philandro Castile, and so many others uh, from the black community that have met their fate, um, you know, at the hands of racism or hate crime. So I continue to pray, uh, for them, their families, uh, their friends, those who love them and, and miss them. Uh, we continue to pray and, and lift them up in prayer and hold them there. So it's been really hard. You know, I had a couple of um, interesting engagements. I, I belong to a community website where we've been, I've been seeing 
uh, a lot of posting going on about the riots, about um, you know how people are dealing with and their perspectives on the riots and the police involvement, etc. And I've seen some get heated. And one of the last night it was very interesting because a woman decided to post about the um, the riots and and the police involvement. And she was really upset. It was a very long post and she was a, a white woman. Very, very long post. She just kind of went into detail to talk about how she just wished everyone would just forget about color and everyone would just operate, you know, with the intention that, you know, we're all in this together and we're, you know, that, that there is no, we shouldn't look at each other based upon color. And I was just getting ready to, uh, to get in the shower. It was probably about nine o'clock in the evening and I happened to see it come up and as I am always very thoughtful about my responses to the greater community I mean I, I obviously have a business I you know I, I'm a speaker uh, I speak on the subject matter I'm a mother <laughs> you know I you know I, I think about you know all of what I consider to be my personal constituency right and I think about that and I think about how I'm coming across to the greater community um, as I articulate my view and through my lens. And so as I was reading, you know, this very long, uh, very well thought, you know, through um, comment by this woman, I said, I think what's missing here for her is some people just are not quite operating on the sufficient level of what I call of diversity consciousness. And I say that in that in their world and whatever that they think about when it comes to what's, what they see on TV, images of black people, um, their experiences being, uh, you know, having black friends, if they have or if they haven't, um, their personal political points of view, ideologies, etc., cetera, are, are always going to be factors that are contributing to whatever their narrative is and their experience at the time. So I immediately went to that place with her and said, oh, I have to think about where she's coming from, right? So let me go and operate from a higher consciousness when I, before I reply to her, because I did want to reply. So I did that and I took a moment. And when I replied, um, I thanked her for her perspective and, and told her I understood uh, where she was coming from. And then I went on to explain to her that the beauty and the value that we find in individualism is our diversity, is the fact that we are different. It's the fact that we can look at each other and see that even though, and I, I consider everybody's a reflection of me, so you'll hear me say peace reflection a lot because that is what I believe, that we are a reflection of one another. But the beauty is that we can look at one another and people think just because that we say, I look at someone and they're different, that that's a bad thing. It's not. It means that we have to learn to appreciate and value what we see in others that, is, that isn't the same as what we see in ourselves, right? And I think if we get to a point as a society that we don't look at people and see that they are um, you know, whether gender fluid or whether they're LGBTQ or whether they are, you know, black and whether they're Asian, whether they're, and, and then immediately go to a place of appreciation and, and honoring of that uniqueness, then we're on the wrong path because it's never going to go away. That's not going to go away. 
So in my reply to her, I wanted to enlighten her that recognizing that people have this beautiful human attribute is something we never want to lose sight of, right? But we do want to insert in that same, through that same lens that they should be treated equal. Everyone has a right, their God-given human right to be treated equal. And I went on to say to her, um, you say that you get it, but tell me if you really do. Have you ever uh, been exposed to discrimination or the subject of uh, racism? Have you ever um, had to worry about your child, uh, your son going out, driving, being pulled over by the police and, and maybe losing his life or not making it home? Have you ever been discriminated against because of the color of your skin specifically? Have you ever experienced these things? And she came back with a very interesting answer and said, well, you know, I, I'm a single mom and I have been, I feel like I was discriminated and, 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 and kept from uh, getting some of the services that I needed because I was a single mom. And I replied back to her and honored the fact that that's a very difficult thing. It's tough. And I think that people should always feel, um, you know, uh, a sense of, of sadness when it comes to being denied for any kind of a service that's going to help them raise a child or, or you know, live the fullness of their life. But at the same time, I also wanted to point out the difference between that kind of uh, discrimination and discrimination that she's seeing uh, Black Americans dealing with right now. And at the end of the day, it ended up being a very fruitful conversation. And I believe that she walked away as I also offered to her um, the option to become more enlightened uh, by reading a book um, uh, called How to Be an Anti-Racist. It's an amazing book. I, I encourage people to, to pick it up by um, Ibram X. Uh, Kinty. Amazing. Um, it talks about the plight of, of Black people, uh, racism, and, and a little bit of the intersectionality as well. Um, and I believe that she will go and get that book and read it. So we have an opportunity to be responsible during this time, to educate um, and help guide people into understanding that don't. Our natural tendency right now, as we are very raw, everyone is raw. Um, we're, we're still in COVID. We're dealing with, you know, uh, our lives as we knew it before, um, as we knew our lives before, completely disruptive. And now we have this. So we're super raw. And if we don't take the time to stop and operate from a higher consciousness, we, it's a powder cake. It will, it explodes. And that's what you see in frustration when people feel like they're not being heard. So I just wanted to share that long story, but I wanted to share that. Thank you for sharing that, Yolanda. I, uh, it's, it's really good to have you on the podcast today. I um, uh, was, was talking to a friend of mine who, uh, African-American descent and said that, you know, the real difference between, um, you know, kind of, cause I, you know, again, have raw conversations about being blind. And again, this thing of, of feeling discrimination from a blindness perspective, no different than a single uh, Caucasian female wanting to get services. They're slightly different than a friend of mine who had to have the talk with his child about uh, 
actively being afraid of the police. Mm -hmm. So th that kind of conversation and that kind of discrimination, um, I, I feel like, and again, this isn't the Olympics of discrimination here as uh, Nina likes to put so eloquently. However, there, there, there really is a, there's a difference, you know, like as a, as a, even a blind guy, I will not have to tell my, my Caucasian son to be actively afraid of the police because of skin color. Yes, yes, um, painful, but true. Yeah, Yolanda, I have to say, you're, you are incredibly gracious with people when it comes to all of these conversations. I think that there's a, a lot of different ways that a lot of people are approaching these, um, you know, and there's a lot of emotions behind a lot of it. And so, um, you know, the fact that you are having these conversations and creating space for other people to uh, be acknowledged and heard, um, even at a time where I feel like, you know, personally, I don't feel like now's the time to, to allow those other voices to be heard. But, you know, that's incredibly gracious of you to be doing that, especially as a Black woman today. Um, I, I have to ask, um, can you tell me a little bit about what you're seeing in the corporate world right now? I mean, I think that there's an element of corporations coming out. And, you know, you used to work with a Fortune 500 company. You have 30 years working in the HR sector. Um, what are you seeing is happening in terms of company responses? And what are your thoughts and feelings about that? And, and this is an interesting, you know, thank you for asking me that question because there's a part of me um, as I see organizations speaking up, making their statements, um, really standing up and saying, we stand by the black community, we stand, you know, saying uh, George Floyd's, Floyd's name, um, you know, talking about systemic racism, talking about, um, you know, the injustices that are happening. And I ask myself the question, and some of them I go to their websites and I just kind of look to see how diversity um, is being talked about within their organization from an external perspective. Sometimes I Google to see. Um, and I'm left sometimes wondering or, or left sometimes feeling like, is this something that some organizations are saying right now because they have to jump on the bandwagon because they're afraid they may lose their customer base or their employees are gonna up, you know, be in upheaval, which they should be concerned about those things. And others, I know that it is authentic and, and I can go and do the research and see, um, you know, kind of the connection between what they're saying now and their actions of what they've been doing. Maybe I go and look at their leadership teams and to get a feel for whether or not their executive leadership um, uh, is reflective of, of um, you know, people of color and, and gender and uh, gender identity sometimes as well. Uh, it's important for organizations right now, if they're going to start talking about what they stand for and who they stand with, to ensure that they are truly walking the walk and talking the talk. And that means every day. That means starting to look at their internal systems and being able to be very transparent and you know, very real with themselves about what is happening within their own backyards and their own organizations that might be perpetuating some of this viewpoint. Um, there are many organizations that, you know, um, 
the issue of equality and parity um, from a systemic standpoint is rampant within the organization and, the, and a blind eye is being turned. Um, and no pun intended, mine. <laughs> but I, I really believe that, that that is exactly, you know, what is happening. So I see, uh, you know, the intention, the, you know, these organizations really wanting to be a part of the solution and not the problem. And I would challenge each and every one of them uh, to make sure that they're actually living those values internally. And if they are not, uh, that they begin to do that and look for ways that they can do it on a regular basis. As I mentioned before, this is, uh, you know, in our pre-conversation, um, this is not the first time in history that this has happened and it certainly will not be the last. So what we build today, we have to respect in the future and make sure that we're building even further, um, you know, on this idea. That's a really interesting distinction that I hadn't thought about that you just made me think of. I love this perspective because one of the questions I was going to ask is, you know, do you, I mean, given your, your role in the community and, and, you know, your previous role at Arrow and, and now the work that you're doing as a solopreneur and, and consultant in the diversity space, so, you know, I was curious to know how many people have been reaching out to you going, what the heck am I supposed to do? Um, but, but it's interesting because there's, there's that group of people and then, you know, we've, we've certainly had, um, customers of ours kind of reach out asking that same question, but then on the other hand, you do have those, those groups who are putting out these messages that, and to your point, you know, is that just another PR move for them right. or are they really, are they really, behind this right are they really behind black lives matter are they really listening to all of their employees are they are they really making an effort to to change and uh, you know covid was sort of the first opportunity and i i kept saying that was a once in a lifetime opportunity for companies to sort of step back and reboot any kind of diversity and inclusion strategy that they had right or at least give it some some vigor but then here we are now with a very specific second opportunity and yeah I, it, what do you are, are you seeing like a huge disproportionate difference between those companies who are just putting out a message just to quote unquote look good versus people actually reaching out to you going like what the heck am I supposed to do uh, the outreach that I'm getting is is a lot of the we don't know what to do and right I right. think that everyone kind of starts with the communication, right? Because the voice of a CEO, the voice of a chairman, uh, you know, the voice of a provost, the voice of, of an executive in, in, in various communities carries weight. So that's, I think the immediate knee jerk reaction to things like this is, oh, we have to show the community that we care. We have to tell people that we care. Our next thing will be, um, how do we exhibit that, right? How do we show care through our actions and not just our words? And I think that that's the stage that these organizations are going to have to move into if they haven't already. There are some companies and some organizations that are completely silent right now, right now or they've done internal communications that don't really address the heart of what's happening. And that's a sign of where their intention lies, right? Where they're, commitment is, I think it's pretty obvious. 
but those uh, that are interested in and mean it and want to do better, want to be better, you will see them putting dollars towards reform. You will see them, you know, uh, you know, creating diversity-centric infrastructures within their organizations that answers the issue of systemic uh, inequality. You're going to see it in their leadership teams. You're going to see it through their philanthropy, their philanthropic effort. So time will tell. Um, but I think that we should also, you know, people should hold them accountable. I think employees in organizations where they've spoken out and said, we stand by you and <clears throat> we think that this is horrible and it's an outrage and we're outraged by this. I think employees need to hold their employers accountable. What are you doing? How can I help? Yeah. Yeah. So like, I think that's one of the, my big fears, Yolanda, is that, you know, last week, this was top of mind for everyone, right? Everyone was seeing it, feeling it, watching it happen, watching it all unfold this week. We're starting to see, you know, the reactions and everything. And, you know, I, I fear that next week or two weeks or three weeks from now on the line, this will just be, everyone will forget about it again. You know, it'll just be like another moment that was like, oh yeah, I remember when that happened. And, you know, people will kind of, it'll just fall off folks' radars. I mean, how do we stop that from happening? How, like, what can we do to make sure this doesn't fall off people's radars because it's not going to be solved in the next week. We know that <laughs> these are systemic issues that need to be fixed with really big, you know, with movements, with changes at companies and government and local government and federal government and, you know, and individuals and everything like that. Like how, you know, what can we do to make sure that this doesn't fall off the radar? Right. And those things aside, I mean, I think that there's the government aspect, there's the, you know, being able to connect to your um, to your local government, making sure that you're voting, um, that you're signing petition and that, that you're supporting efforts that really help to um, abolish some of these things or, or create significant reform. Um, from an organizational perspective, you know, the biggest challenge right now for organizations is that they're stuck in culture. And, and what happens at the, at the most senior level, which is my, my belief, is that there's a way of life, there's this conformity that happens, right? And that people get used to, executives get used to operating a certain way. Uh, and they're accustomed to talking about diversity and talking about people um, in a certain way. And if there is not someone in that room that is sitting next to a CEO that is modeling a behavior that challenges the status quo and conformity, then you're gonna get where you're gonna get. Interesting, um, uh, there was a, a research study that was done with, with about 500 um, CHROs. I think it was done by, I can think the Gallup organization. And they asked quite a few uh, CHROs about what was their biggest challenge in diversity and inclusion and why they felt like they weren't moving the dial. And, and subsequent to that uh, survey, there was a roundtable discussion that I was um, blessed to be a part of where the conversation among the CHROs was around, what are you doing within the space of diversity and inclusion? How are you moving? And they were all struggling. They're all struggling. Well, we're doing training, but we don't think training is sticking. Well, we're, you know, we have our representation numbers, but we're not seeing change in our representation numbers. Oh, well, we have employee resource groups, but yet we don't know if that's really impacting employee engagement. You know, we are stuck 
and don't know how to move the dial. Well, guess why you're stuck? You're stuck because the reality of what's happening in your organization is not being addressed. There's fear at the most senior level of whether or not you can even talk about race, right? Let's even, you know, don't even go there. Don't even start talking about racial issues sometimes at the most senior level, right? Disparities, inequities, et cetera. So if that, those conversations are not happening, how is that going to trickle down to programs and intention and commitment within the organization? I believe that organizations get stuck in, well, we don't want to, we wanna talk about inclusion, right? And we wanna talk about diversity, but we do not wanna talk about inequities at its rawest form. We don't want to answer the hard questions around how do we engage individuals in our organization that don't feel like they belong, but yet we're talking about everybody needs to belong, right? That's our intention. So at the most senior level, there has to be a conversation around what do, how do we define inclusion? How, how do we define inclusion and diversity in our organization? And what are we willing, what kind of conversations are we really willing to have? So our representation, we say we want to have a flourishing um, representation of diversity at our most senior level. We want to have X amount of women, we want to have X amount of women of color, yet they're focused on the representation, but not focused on the intersectionality of lived experiences by people of color. And if you are not addressing that within your organization and committed to that, your numbers mean absolutely nothing. People will move on. You will not retain them. Their experience will suck. Organizations simply must understand that in order for you to get to inclusion and diversity, that you have to respect the experiences and the backgrounds and understand the root of inequity and parity. Why do you think it's going to take us, you know, another 30 years to get to gender parity? Oh, by the way, that's for white women, right? That's not even to talk about gender parity, you know, for women of color. We just saw the Fortune 500 publication about the 37 females representing 7.4% of the Fortune 500 businesses at CEO level, right? Three of those women, three of those, three of those women are women of color, but not black or Latino. Are you trying to tell me that nowhere on this planet there are educated, brilliant, um, capable, uh, melanated women? to lead organizations, wrong. So what I want to see organizations doing to help bridging some of this gap in inequality is committing to not just placing people of color um, and women of color on their boards, I mean, that too, um, and, and in roles as CEOs and, and executive leadership, I want to see them develop and invest in and pull them up within their organizations they are fully capable. And to me, that's not happening because they don't want to talk about the issues and they must be discussed. They must be discussed. Yeah, I mean, everything you just said times a thousand. <laughs> uh, you know, that's, we talk about this a lot and I think this is, it, it, this is a time where um, 
to your point, like we can't just let things slide anymore. And we, we don't get, I don't think anybody can gets a pass on not making a decision on whether they're going to have these discussions or not. It's an either or at this point. And yeah, you know what I mean? I, I tried and I think it, there need to be intentional. We always talk about intentional, you know, choices here. Mike always talks about that. Like there needs to be, be absolute conscious intention behind moving forward. And, you know, to your point about, yes, there are absolutely qualified, educated, melanated women to who, to take those roles. It's part of it. And we, we talked about this on an earlier uh, episode today, you know, part of it was that, you know, a lot of the white people in this country are sort of raised to believe that those women aren't actually educated and that you know what i mean like that's what a, that, that yeah. yeah yeah you know the quote and i actually stopped using this quote because i i i went deeper and as i went to my higher i went deeper and went to a higher frequency <laughs> when i was looking at this quote but the quote of um and i wish i could remember the owner of the quote i'm sorry you guys may remember but um it says diversity is being invited to the party and inclusion is being asked to dance so think about that from a African-American or melanated person or person of color's perspective, okay? So you've been asked to dance. You, you, you've been invited to the party. You come and, you ask, and you're asked to dance. Now all of a sudden you start dancing and everyone else is looking at you and saying, I'm not sure I like the way that dances. I don't like the way she's dancing. Um, wait, she's not dancing like everybody else. Um, what does that dance actually mean? That is what happens to many people of color when they get into senior leadership roles or leadership roles and they are trying to bring their unique self to the table. Oh, that's it's so true. This, well, we, you know, yes, we want you here, but you know, like you gotta conform. Right. And, and maybe there's the this underlying feeling of if you don't conform or maybe you say the wrong thing at the wrong time in our eyes or you say it in a way that's not, you know, a common thread of communication or the way we communication among uh, the way we communicate among this team. Or maybe it brushes against the ideals and the, you know, and the, 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 the true understanding or feelings of a CEO or another leader at the table. These are the things that are not addressed. And commonly what happens to people of color is that we then shrink. We shrink. Y Yolanda, this, I, what I'm, I'm so loving this story and because I'm, I'm hearing you speak from the space of experience. Like I, I hear only experience coming from your voice right now. And I'm, I'm just, I so appreciate, um, I appreciate the story. Well, and, I, and I've also talked to many others that have been in the diversity, leading diversity and inclusion efforts within their organizations who have been told, you know, there's only so, so many places you can go, right? You can only go here. Like we're cherry picking what we're going to do in the space of diversity and inclusion. <laughs> How does inequity 
belonging and inclusion and diversity ever get to its rightful place if you're cherry picking it. That's so true. That's so true. Gosh, Yolanda, this has been an amazing conversation. I think you've just brought in so much to the table today for, for our listeners to internalize. I hope that they like come back and like we're going to be pu publishing this on on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I hope they come back and listen to this at least like 10 times over because I think like people need to walk away and internalize everything you said today and figure out exactly how to like apply that back. back yeah. Back. And I, I open um, myself up for conversation. People want to connect with me on LinkedIn or connect with me on my website, diversitywaymaker.com. Um, connect with me on Twitter. Let's keep the conversation going. Ask the question. I will certainly be there to give answers and also to listen and to brainstorm ideas. I think it's important. Well, thank you so Couldn't much. We'll, we'll put your uh, contact info then um, on our on our uh, website and uh, on the, the YouTube link and everything like that so people can connect with you. Um, Yolanda, thank you again. Thank you to all the listeners for joining us. Um, we're gonna be continuing the, the Black Voices Matter series tomorrow um, and uh, every day for the foreseeable future. Um, and Mike and Yubi, thank you again for, for joining yeah. today and being a part of this conversation too. I'm grateful, I'm thank grateful you, for these reflections. <laughs> Have a good one. Yeah, Yolanda, yeah, thank you for, for trusting us and um, thank you for, for giving us the opportunity to listen. Thank you, everybody. Take, take care, everyone. Thanks, all.